Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, we interview inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I hope you're having an absolutely wonderful day. I'm having a pretty good day myself. We've got a great episode for you lined up, so let's just get on with it. This episode is a recorded conversation between myself, co-host Joe Stewart, and Ella Noah Bancroft. Eleanor Bancroft is a Bundjalung woman raised in New South Wales. She's an artist, storyteller, entrepreneur, sexuality coach, yoga teacher, feminist, gay rights activist. She has done so, so much. She's an incredible, powerful woman, so we were extremely excited to get the chance to speak with her. Now, just so you know, when we recorded this episode, Ella was actually over in Bali, so we did have a few technical difficulties. I think it sounds pretty good. I think we got a pretty good recording, but just be aware if things seem a little bit out of order or anything like that, that's the reason why. And Ella, thank you for being so very patient with us, and she had some wise words to say on this at the very end, so listen out for that one. I would like to ask that you please like, share, or subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, maybe give us a review it really helps other people discover the podcast and you want that right well at least I hope so all right that is way too much talking for me I know I shouldn't be so self-deprecating but that's more than enough from me let's get on with our conversation with Ella Noah Bancroft Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today all the way over in Bali. We're really glad to get the chance to talk with you. Perhaps we could just start with you telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. I grew up in, was born in Sydney in a home. My mum had a home birth for both me and my older brother, buried our placenta in the backyard. <laughs> and Can you have a special tree under growing out of it or anything? Well, it was our original home, but my parents separated when I was two. So I'm not sure what's growing there now, but I'm sure it's fruitful. Yeah, <laughs> good things. <laughs> yeah. And then after my parents separated, my mum, she's Aboriginal Australian, and she decided to take me and my brother back to country. So our family is originally from the Bundjalung Nation. Our clan is the Dajam clan, which is the northern New South Wales region. But my family come from outside of a small town called Grafton. So about an hour out in the rainforest is where we moved when I was six and basically spent the next few years living life on country. I went to a mission school. And for those who don't know, missions were places set up by the colonial missionaries who came over with the intention for assimilation, indoctrination into Catholicism or some type of religion. And basically, I went to a primary school there with about 35 other Indigenous students who mostly were either cousins or cousins' cousins or cousins' cousins' cousins. And our house was very simple. Our living was very basic but beautiful. We didn't have any electricity or hot water and our baths were in the freshwater creek, which was right next to our house. And if we wanted to have a warm bath in winter, we had to, you know, boil the water on the fire. It definitely shaped 
me as the woman that I am now and is a significant piece of my story and my upbringing in terms of my connection to country and my Aboriginality. So I feel really thankful to have gone home and been in that space with my community. And we then later went back to Sydney mostly for schooling because just the education systems and I guess infrastructure out there are really poor. And unless you're kind of in it and living it, you probably wouldn't even understand the kind of spaces in which a lot of that community are operating in. But basically we were like an hour away from any kind of shop by drive. So yeah, very much like rural and living by ourselves. And my mum took a lot of pride in education and really wanting me and my brother to get the best education we could for our lives. So we ended up moving back to Sydney where I finished the rest of my schooling and went on to travel. You mentioned that your schooling was very religious at the mission school. I'm wondering, did you have any Aboriginal spirituality provided to you in your home life at all? Oh, yeah, definitely. So the school wasn't actually religious by any means, but it was just set up by missionaries. I mean, originally that was the intention for it. But what happens with a lot of Indigenous communities or happened, especially on the East Coast, is that people went in, set up these communities, and then everybody left and just left everybody kind of high and dry with disconnection to country and culture. I was really lucky to have my auntie Carol at the school, and she was the cook, and also she taught language. So our language is the Bundjalung language. And so we had a cultural element there of learning language. But in terms of the schooling, I came back to Sydney and was severely disadvantaged with my numeracy and literacy just because I was in a classroom with kindergarten to year three with one teacher trying to teach all of the different years to all of us. And then my brother was in the year above, which was, uh, or the classroom above us, which was four to six. So definitely wasn't an emphasis on the curriculum or the way that anybody would imagine a primary school to operate. But in terms of the cultural diversity at the school and the ability to be amongst my family and learning language, it was incredibly significant for my life. And I know that you've mentioned your mum was a pretty famous artist. Was creativity a big part of your childhood years and growing up as well? Or was your mum just so busy with everything that goes into looking after kids and running a house with no electricity and running water? Did that kind of take up a lot of her time in those years? When we were in Lionsville, uh, I actually spent a lot of time outside. And so, you know, as a young kid, my imagination was just like always going in nature. I just felt so creative there. In our house that I grew up in Sydney, my mom actually, the whole house was her studio. So in terms of being immersed in creativity, I was constantly surrounded by giant contemporary Indigenous artwork. And my mum is a really amazing artist. And basically our entire dining room was in a dining room. I don't think we sat at a table once during my entire upbringing. It was always floor dinners, mostly due to the fact that there were canvases just spread all over our tables and here, there and everywhere. My mum was always working. She's been a really dedicated woman to her craft. And even at times of being like in a place of wondering, Mum, maybe we should try something different, you know? <laughs> she she persevered and I'm so thankful she did because she really showed me uh, resilience and that really working hard pays off in longevity. So I'm super glad that she continued at her craft and became the successful woman that she is today. This might be 
fast forwarding a bit, but how did you discover yoga? Yoga, I actually discovered it through my brother. So growing up, he was definitely more active than me. He played a lot of sport and wanted to be a professional sportsman. And we basically moved out together when I was 17. He had done one year at uni and he wanted to get a share house. So we got one together and we started going to Bikram together. And I think he was using it as a rehabilitation or space for him to just go and be post his sporting activities. And that was when I was first introduced to it. What brought you along to deciding to want to teach yoga? It's It's been an interesting journey. I definitely haven't been in a consistent practice since I was 17. I went through the throes of, you know, early 20 spaces of not really looking after my body as well as I could have and kind of reignited my love and passion with yoga around the age of 25 in Melbourne, where I started going with my best friend. And I just found that it profoundly affected me in a way that no no other movement ever had on a very emotional level. I was having quite cathartic experiences on the mat, which I think was affecting, you know, the way that I chose to operate in the world. And then my partner at the time after that was an avid yogi and just so inspired by her. I I really just like developed a solid practice and I just realized that That more than anything, I thought that it was a beautiful practice that I wanted to bring home to Indigenous people. My family specifically, I just thought that the benefits for my sister and my mother would be amazing. And so I decided to do a yoga teacher training with that in mind, with starting to teach and guide my family first before moving on to teaching of practicing with others. I've tried to introduce yoga to my family and have had negative results. <laughs> so I'm wondering if, if you encountered... And if he loves it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I'm wondering if you encountered any resistance at all to begin with or did they just really take on to it? Absolutely. Huge amounts of resistance. <laughs> and I think also... The resistance was because I was not approaching it in the best way. You know, I think that at the beginning of my yoga journey, it was very tied in with also my my deep spiritual journey. And for myself anyway, there was a lot of ego around it. And I think both my mother and my sister found that my approach was, you know, a bit patronizing at times. And what I found actually after traveling India and spending time in California, I went on a giant trip and came to this conclusion that really I needed to just like walk my walk and stop talking or pressing them to do certain things. And so that just looked like, you know, coming home and I would just practice in the lounge room and I would just be, you know, always in a state of moving moving my body in that way or they had also seen the effects of like the way that it had changed my moods and my ability to deal with certain situations and actually it was it was me giving them the time and space to sit in reflecting on witnessing me that they both actually ended up coming to me in the long run and that was like the most amazing part of my entire life. I could probably say I had tears in my eyes when my 19-year-old sister asked me to take her to her first yoga class. And it makes me emotional now to think of, but I... I'm really glad that I ended up softening in that space for them to want to just come and meet me there. It's so beautiful and you've already started to do this, but do you think you could express to us what exactly it is about this practice that is so unique and so special for you? I think for me, the movement 
the practice itself in slowing down is something that I resonate with so much. My life is and has been since I was a young woman quite hectic. And I I know that's probably been from bouncing from cities to cities. I've lived in Sydney and Melbourne and just been constantly in a fast paced, you know, motion and yoga really softened me and allowed me to sit and, and be still with myself. And, you know, even if that was two minute Shavasana at the end of a vinyasa practice or yin, which I am so dearly in love with as a practice, it just changed my whole perspective on life, that things didn't need to happen always so immediately, that there was a real practice in patience. And I think that's what yoga has really brought to me is that attention to detail, to sit with self in silence and with no motivation or yeah, goal orientated motives, I guess. Yeah, I can definitely identify with that one. And I'm wondering as well, did you feel natural parallels with the Indigenous spirituality that you grew up with and your yoga practice? And is that something that you weave together or more just two different aspects of yourself that you explore? Yeah, it's it's fascinating because I studied Indigenous dance when I was at high school, actually in Sydney. I danced in a few Indigenous dance troops and there's really similar postures that we use in in some of the Indigenous dance and also in yoga. A tree or, you know, tree stand is also like very similar to the warrior stance, which I learnt in my dancing days. So I guess I've been seeing interesting parallels of just humanness from mm-hmm. culture to culture culture and the way that we move our body in that way and really found interesting connections between especially being in India where I did study yoga to being in Australia and knowing quite in depth about my own culture even the parallels that play out with kundalini and snake energy and the rainbow serpent and the chakra system being directly tied into what I believe to be the rainbow serpent and these really unique kind of similarities that I think we as humans have developed and just kind of created our own subcultures, but really discovered on a collective world basis. Yeah, like these universal truths that resonate for all of us. Mm-hmm. That sounds really interesting. Could you talk about the, the rainbow serpent and the chakras, how they might relate? So I was actually reading this book and the name of it right now has lost my mind. I mean, it's gone out of my yeah. mind. I may have been awakening Shakti or I can see the cover. But anyway, in in this article, they talk about how the chakra system is kind of the life force, you know, it runs up our spine and, and, and the way it was shaped looked like a snake in this particular picture in this book. And at that moment, I was kind of looking at it and I was like, that's so interesting because from what I know scientifically through evolution, we came from, you know, the first ever fish that grew feet and stepped onto the land. And for me, that's very reptilian. That's a snake space. And then I kind of was thinking, all right, well, the indigenous culture is so embedded in the creator being the rainbow serpent. You know, imagine if the creator being the rainbow serpent is actually inside of us all along and is actually the backbone of our very existence was really like a fascinating space for me to explore and something that I I think is really 
my truth and maybe other people won't resonate with that themselves, but I definitely see correlations there. Nice. And do you sort of incorporate that into your own teaching at all? Yeah, definitely. I think for me, yoga as a practice, I have, you know, it's interesting because I want to remain as respectful culturally as I can Mm. to the practice and the lineage coming from India and really honoring that space, but also recognizing that I am an Indigenous woman and teaching on Indigenous land. So I do believe in that universal truth of a movement practice that there is space to to make that contextual. Yeah, definitely. And I think true to the spirit of yoga, it's that practice of observing yourself and being present and exploring new ideas. And just from hearing how you talk about both traditions, I can tell that it's coming from like a place of deep love and authenticity, but also spaciousness. Like it doesn't sound like you would force this on anything or like kind of forcefully mash the two cultures together in a way that didn't fit. It's more just a observing of parallels and how things just naturally unfold. Yeah, definitely. So this is a little bit of a detour from this beautiful terrain back into the everyday hustle and bustle, which you have you have mentioned. Just having a quick look at your website, you work as an artist, a sexuality coach, an activist, a yoga teacher, a fashion designer, and I'm sure there's actually more as well that you haven't put on there. Would you like to tell us about how you inhabit all of these different roles and how they all weave together? Yeah, so I guess... On paper, it looks like I do a lot of stuff and in hindsight, I guess I do. But how do they all weave together? I guess there's a common thread for most of my work, which is based in social justice and activism. So being an artist, the artwork that I create is often pretty politically focused with a strong meaning. I'm a feminist and an advocate for Indigenous rights. I'm also a strong environmentalist. And in saying that, that's kind of where my clothing company came from because I started to see the dramatic effects that fashion had on the planet being the second biggest polluter to the world, um, just behind oil and gas. And I really wanted to create something that was going to make people think about their purchases. So we creations came from that. And we is actually a Gamilaroi word. It means sun goddess. And basically the clothing label, we take secondhand upcycled t-shirts and repurpose them with powerful screen printing messages messages and affiliated with different charities or social enterprises in Australia. So basically, I wanted people to be able to wear clothing that was making a difference and that wasn't impacting the planet. That was kind of where that stemmed from. My space as a sexuality or connection coach has come from the last uh, six years of study. I studied Tantra in California and India and also in Byron Bay and It was really a a bridging of yoga and tantra together and identifying myself as a a queer woman in the world. I really noticed how there was a lack of support for people who weren't heterosexual Mm -hmm. in, in their sexuality or the tantra space. So I decided to go and embark on the teachings myself so that I could be a facilitator and help guide people in that practice as I feel that it really benefited me in my relationships and I just love to pass that knowledge 
done to people who are in same-sex relationships or in relationships that don't fit the the normal heterosexual space. Just to yeah. be in and there then, as well, sorry, like I'd imagine as well like we really don't see too many Indigenous sexuality coaches like it seems to be quite a white space for a tradition that comes from India has that been your experience as well and another reason why you would want to just represent and be a different voice in that world yeah definitely I mean you know it's funny because in a lot of spiritual communities no matter where you are around the world what I have noticed is a real lack of people of color Mm. and I don't know why that is. Maybe it is that like a lot of spiritual communities are bound up by people of privilege or have the ability to travel to explore different cultures who have money that allow them to take time off to do courses. There could be lots of reasons behind it. But yeah, it's it's always on the forefront of my mind. I mean, like part of my identity is being Indigenous, is being queer, and I really want to be able to break down those those norms of what people expect when they see a yoga teacher, when they see a tantra teacher, when they see a woman who's successful. You've written a lot as well about some really offensive stuff that people have said to you about how you look too white to be Aboriginal or too pretty to be gay. And obviously this shit's not okay. Has it shaped the way that you express yourself in the world because it's almost like this expectation that now you need to educate people when these perceptions are out there and directed at you rather than just living your life and doing your thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think now I'm in quite a social space where people recognize who I am and what my morals and and my values are. I think when I was younger, I didn't really understand it and it did affect me um, and affected me in a negative way because, you know, when we're younger, we don't have such a grip on our emotions. I think I, I became quite jaded and probably like quite you know, angry with society around constantly being questioned about what felt good in my body. And essentially that's, that's how I live my life. You know, being a a queer woman is, that's what feels good in my body. You know, I, I grew up with an Aboriginal mother. So identifying has always been part of who I am and that's what feels right in my body. And I think that as I get older and people challenge that notion, for me, it's just their lack of of awareness and their their ignorance in that space and i no longer feel anger towards them you know but i'd really love to you know converse with those people around why maybe that's an inappropriate place to put a judgment or to say something like that and i believe in really healthy debating i think different perspectives are an amazing way to build a successful society and so now i really encourage people to reach out to me if they do want to discuss that space because for me that's my honest truth and I'm only going to live from my honest authentic self and I'm really unapologetic about it. I no longer feel anger for these people you know I think it's more of a place of compassion and understanding that people are they're not they're not meaning ill intent. It's just that they're not educated. They haven't come around other people with different perspectives or maybe they have stereotypes that are narrowing 
the way they see the world. And for me, I now embrace people who want to challenge me on my identity because I'm, I'm really strong in myself. I'm unapologetically me. And I feel really calm to approach those people with my perspective and, and not in a place of anger, in a place of real understanding so that they can walk away and like, whoa, I, I met a real person who's doing something real in their life. And that feels really true to them. And, and connecting more with the heart space is, is what I hope to do to change people's perspectives or their narrow minds in that way. Do you still get pushback when you're outspoken about your sexuality or your heritage? For me, like, I think the most resistance I get around my sexuality is from cis white men. And to be honest with you, I'm sure it's probably just because they are interested in the challenge of potentially being my lover. Um, That's what I've experienced anyway. So for me, it's just a projection of them trying to, you know, conquer that space and, you know, kind of like be the guy that changed the girl. (laughs) Oh, boy. Could they pick a less effective (laughs) approach? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's interesting, which I think maybe they think they're being original, but for me I've heard it like for the last 11 years of my life. And it's, it's fascinating because on the flip side in our contemporary Australian society, I initially when I meet women, first off the bat I I actually get a lot of resistance from women until they find out I'm gay especially if I meet them and their partner together and I've noticed this really interesting mood switch in women which looks like first they may be sussing out if I'm a threat and then they find out I'm gay and then they're like best friends with me you know and then I'm like baby I'm not looking at him you You know and it's a really funny flip to to seeing the way that women deal with also my sexuality hello Ron here just popping in to talk about our patreon page now if you don't know what patreon is it's just a way that you can help support the podcast for as little as one dollar a month now the podcast will always be free it will always be available for anyone but if you support the podcast you can get access to extra special content we put up videos we put up extra excerpts from interviews and it also helps pay for the transcription of our favorite episodes And speaking of that, we've just uploaded our transcription of our conversation with Menos Diaz. That was a great episode. So you can go and read the full interview on our website at podcast.flowartist.com. If you want to know more about Patreon and how to support us, just go to patreon.com slash flowartistpodcast. I'll leave a link in our show notes on our website. In the meantime, let's get back to our conversation with Ella Noah Bancroft. And so it sounds like you're in a really good place now with how you respond to all of these issues that you care about in the world, but just advocating for so many different causes, which are all huge and hugely important from like Indigenous issues to environmental issues to feminist issues. Did you have to put some self-care practices in place to prevent burnout? Yeah, I definitely have implemented self-care practices. I feel like self-care is a pretty big 
buzzword at the moment and was really brought to my attention by my previous partner who was a self-care advocate. But, you know, yoga is a self-care practice for me. Taking time to journal is self-care. Taking time to do my art is self-care. I'm a huge advocate for, you know, eating healthy and that's a really massive impact in my life. And I really pride myself on on health and making sure that I'm eating the right things to keep me energized and sustained and powering through just because I feel like as an active member of my community, it's really important that I am healthy and that I'm not going to develop adrenal fatigue and that I am running on, you know, good fuel and food. So I guess a lot of my self-care is, is based around, yeah, my health and, and the practice and dedication to keeping myself in a good mindset. And is it a challenge to earn a sustainable income while balancing the time and energy required for your activism projects? In terms of the money that I make and the income which I have is, yeah, it's interesting because so much of my activism is based around sustainability and so therefore I consume very little. Uh, For me, I've never really needed to have a, a wad of cash in my bank account purely because I don't really spend that much money. I'm I'm often spending a lot of time in nature. I'm very fortunate to live by the beach and I spend a lot of time there, which is relatively free. I think like my biggest expense in life is my rent, but I live in paradise and that is <laughs> a part of my self-care practice. And honestly, I haven't bought a new piece of clothing for over a year and a half now. And that's due to the fact that I own a upcycle sustainable clothing company. And in order for me to run that and be in my authenticity, I really need to be actively making the choices and decisions in my life to lead a better life that I would like to see ripple out to the rest of society. So like you've written about the unconditional support of your family and how it's really allowed you to blossom into the person that you are today. I'm wondering if this has been a bit of a factor in your coaching work that you do today to be able to offer an aspect of that support to other people who maybe haven't grown up with that in their own lives and pay it forward in a sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think... I always spent a lot of time with my mother. Um, She's always been a massive nurturer, um, a community member and a, you know, really big grassroots advocate. And I'm also the second oldest of five children. So in some kind of default, I became like a second mother. I think that has actually been the reason that I I went in to do the work that I want to do because I really I really do care about people and I believe I have a purpose here that's greater than me and I don't believe my work is about helping people but more just being of support as standing aside somebody and telling them that it's okay that they can try and they can fail and that I'll still be there to support them that's all I really try to do because that's what I've been given through my family. Yeah, beautiful. And is this something that you feel in your yoga practice as well, like a different aspect of that support from within? You can turn to other people for support, but also yoga is perhaps a practice where you can turn inwards and find that internal support and kind of be there for yourself in the way that you are being there for other people. 
Yeah, definitely. I think the greatest lesson I have learned in my lifetime has been the marrying of myself to myself and through my yoga practice and my spiritual space, actually understanding that I am a whole person and that I come whole and therefore I can provide others with spaces to find their wholeness. For me, I entered this world solo, I'll exit it solo, and I have a very deep relationship with myself. And I think that has allowed me to be the woman I am. It's kind of given me this very, can I swear? Not so, I won't swear. Yeah, no, 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 I already did. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, you know, like this, I, I, I don't give a fuck what people think about me because I'm so in my integrity. I'm so comfortable with my truth and leading with my heart that it gives me the ability to be a good active member of community because I think a lot of what stops people and what I've seen stops people is fear of judgment. And somehow some magical spell happened to me where I just (laughs) don't give a fuck about what other people see me as. I just don't, you know, because at the end of the day, the work that I'm doing speaks for itself. And um, any any opinion that somebody's going to have about me, it could be negative or it could be positive. But at the end of the day, that's their opinion. It doesn't actually involve me at all. Curious, how would you perhaps encourage other people to have an attitude like that? For me, it is getting out of your head, getting out of the stories and ideas around yourself being the center of information and getting into your heart. My biggest practice is living authentically and to my truth. And so therefore, if anybody has a problem with me, you know, they're essentially challenging my my truth. And, and that may not be their truth, which is totally fine because we're on different paths, but it is mine. And I just choose to be unapologetic about that. Yeah, right on. (laughs) (laughs) And this is probably a complete left turn, but perhaps you could tell us about your retreats. The returning is, it's actually, well, it's a, it's a one day, one night kind of all female, I guess, festival. And it birthed out of my need and want to reclaim women's business. Um, You know, from my heritage, women spent a lot of time on country, learning, growing, sharing skills, sharing information, spending time with elders, having children there. So my idea with the returning was to really do that, to return to a space where women could collectively come together to grow, um, to learn and to be with each other in a really non-competitive space, one where we look at health and spirituality, wellness, sexuality, social justice and business. And that's kind of why I started it, I guess, because, yeah, I, I just wanted to see that be rebirthed. So I run them four times a year, just outside of Byron. There's often between 80 and 100 women all out on country and basically 14 to 15 workshops throughout the day. We host two panels. There's two meals served, an afternoon tea, and all of the food is organic local produce. And it's a waste-free event. So I think the last one we had almost 110 women and the waste that we had could have fit into an A4 paper sleeve. That's how much waste we had. 
And the other idea with the returning is to bridge the socioeconomic gap. So another part of it is that we offer scholarships. Only 33% of the women attending pay full full ticket prices. And with the full ticket price that you purchase, you're essentially gifting a woman in a low socioeconomic situation, an Indigenous woman or a single mum to attend that event. It's run with volunteers from our community, scholarship holders and women who are full paying. So you just get this incredible array of women coming together all with the same intention to learn and grow. And for me, it's magic. Yeah, that sounds Sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it really taps into something that I've kind of thought a bit when I've seen really indulgent retreats in really beautiful places that it's like, well, yep, that is awesome for the person who's attending, but like what effect is it having on the place that it's held and who's left out of this picture? Like who could really use some Mm. reflection time? And I mean, pampering is probably not the right word, but just that fresh space and that fresh perspective and that inspiration that comes from going to a retreat. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's that's a really massive part of my work too. And it comes back to spending a lot of time in spiritual communities, having the privilege to be able to do yoga trainings and witnessing that there is a demographic that attend that. And that for me, the only way to create change in our society is to bridge that space and create a gifting economy. For me, the returning is a not-for-profit event. It's not about making money. It's about bringing people to a place of remembrance of why we are a community and why we need to look after each other and and come back to, you know, understanding that we're families rather than these individual beings that are just self-operating. Another complete left turn. I'm, I'm actually, uh, at the end of every episode, I like to say aroha nui, which is the Māori word for, um, you know, big love. I was just wondering what the equivalent would be in your language. Mm, I don't know if there is a word for love. Well, I mean, not that I'm aware of. And the biggest thing with the Bundjalung language and most East Coast languages is they've been, has been a lot of dislocation, obviously, because it was an oral communicated language. And due to colonialism, a lot of that information has been dislocated. And there are people out there that are rebuilding it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I only know words for animals and the environment and trees and that kind of connected nature spaces. I don't think there's any word for like, please or thank you, because it was just Mm. always like assumed that everything was shared. We're nearing the end of our conversation and we've got one more question. And that is, if you could distill everything that you've learned, everything that you teach down to one core essence, what do you think that one thing would be? I think... Oh, it's hard. That's hard. (laughs) It's a tough question. (laughs) We save the best for last. (laughs) Hard work. I think hard work is the one thing that's going to get you anywhere in life. And whether that be, you know, hard work by dedicating your time to being part of planting trees or hard work in your own business space, hard work maintaining your health and your body. That's the premise of my life, to work hard, to make sure that I'm showing up the way that I can. And for me, working hard isn't, you know, spending 12 hours a day on the computer. For me, working hard is having a 
a balanced lifestyle where I really push myself and don't fall into a space of being lazy with with anything in my life, with my education, with my health, with my business, with my practice. Beautiful. And that absolutely shines through in everything that you've shared. Like you just put so much passion and so much dedication into everything that you do. And it's like you've transformed that hard work into something amazing. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's been a really great conversation for me. Thank you so much. And thanks for putting up with all the technical difficulties we had. So yeah. And also for taking time to like deal with technology when you're in Bali and you can have a total break from all of that. Yeah, and it's so fine. You know, again, it comes back to that patience as a practice. And I think it's really beautiful for us to remember that it's even amazing that we can talk from, you know, so far away. So I'm willing to put time and energy into anything. And that was our conversation with Ella Noah Bancroft. She's an absolute inspiration. She does so much, such an amazing personality. So we were very, very glad to get the chance to speak with her. All right, our next week's episode is a recorded conversation with Claire Natley. Claire is a former president of Yoga Australia and December will mark the 20th year anniversary of the organisation of Yoga Australia. So it's going to be a very special episode. We had a lot of fun speaking with Claire and she shares some things I think will actually help us with our business, with our studio, Garden of Yoga, so it might help you too. All right, look out for that next Monday. Our theme song is Baby Robots by GoSoul and used with permission. Get us music from gosoul.bandcamp.com. Joe and I wish to honour the elders of these traditions of yoga and mindfulness that we share with the world today. And we would also like to honour the traditional custodians of the land where this podcast was recorded in Northcote, Melbourne, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Thank you so, so much for listening. Joe and I really appreciate you spending your time with us. Aroha nui, big, big love.